Good morning, church. Uh, don't get too comfortable in your seats because I'm going to move you in a bit, okay? So just want to plant that in your mind. Thank you, sirs. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, if you can. Greatly appreciate it. Can you guys multitask? Can you pay attention while you're, uh, see these guys doing stuff on the side here? We're talking about the church. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about this. We're talking about the people of God. And, and uh, the message that I would have for us as sitting there is this. Stop dating the church. Okay? Because last time I checked in the Bible, we're not called the girlfriend of Christ. You know what I mean? We're called the what? Which entails commitment. Stop dating the church. You're dating the church if you come on Sunday mornings and that's all you do. You're dating the church if you show up to small groups and you get what you need in terms of Bible study or whatever and you go home and you never interact with people outside of that. You're dating the church if your posture is one of, I'm here so I can be spiritually fed or enjoy the worship, but I have zero plans to contribute or serve or get involved in the lives of others where I make a difference. Are you dating the church? Or are you part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ? We started this sermon series from a 30,000 foot perspective because I need you to know why God did this. Why God creates a church. Why Jesus Christ dies, lives, dies, and rises again for the church. We don't have slides today, so you're going to need your Bibles and pay real close attention today, okay? Ephesians 1.9, Paul says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan according, uh, regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And check this out. And this is the plan. That at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Recap. The ultimate purpose of what God does and what God is at work doing is to put everything back together. Recap. When, 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 when sin enters the world, everything in all of creation unravels. Our relationship with God unravels. Our relationship with each other unravels. And the whole created order unravels. And the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection, his redemptive purposes, according to scripture, is to put all of this back together. Now, how does the watching world know that this is what God is up to? That this is what God is doing? How does the watching world out there know that the mess out there, the mess out there, the sin out there is going to be dealt with and God is going to put everything back together? We find this incredible verse in Ephesians 3.10. His plan, God's plan was that now through the church, through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made told to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose. The church is the place in which the watching world can look to and say, there is evidence that God is going to put the world back together. Is it all inspiring to anybody? The watching world is supposed to look at the church and go, oh, there's a place where people are being reconciled back to God, loving God, worshiping God, living their life as God intended. The church. Ah, 
There's a place, the church, where alienated communities, people who can't get along with one another outside because of sin, are getting along together and building deep reconciled relationships. There is a place where there are no more poor people. There is a place where healing is taking place. Ah, there is a place where the people move outside the four walls and are addressing issues of brokenness in their communities and in their cities as a sign that Jesus Christ one day is going to heal all things. The church is supposed to reveal to God this plan. The people are supposed to look at the church and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He rules and reigns. And one day he is going to return to restore everything. Can I ask you something? Is that a vision worth giving your life for? Can I get an amen? That's a vision worth giving your life for. Listen, God has been at work from the very beginning of time to connect people to God, connect people to each other, connect people to God's purposes. Everything that unraveled. Any single church on the face of the planet that exists has one mission, that is to connect people to God, connect people to each other, and connect people to God's purposes. Everything we do around here is to connect people to God, connect people to each other, connect people to God's purposes. Everything. Why? So that the watching world can go, that's what God's going to do when he returns. Goodness gracious. And we think a church is what? Come hear a sermon, sing a few songs. We think a church is what? What I can get so that I can go live my life the way I want to. We think a church is what? A worship event. We think church is what? Small group. We think church is this entity that exists for us in some mysterious way. When God's in the church exists so that the world could know uh, I'm about healing everything. Goodness gracious. Is that why you come to church? What is this for you? What is this for you? You and I are American. Do you know what that means? That means when consumers, you know what that means? That means that we totally miss this purpose of God. We don't get it. That's why you're serial church shoppers. That's why you're dating the church. You as in, you know, general you, American public you, not you like specific. (laughs) Ephesians 2, open your Bibles, verse 14. We're continuing. And today we're going to continue our our, our study, verses 19 to 22, and look at another metaphor of the church. Verse 14, he himself, that's Christ, is our peace who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. The Bible says that God is at work to create, Greek word, kainon anthropon, one new man, literally one new human race of people. The Bible says that the church is supposed to be a new race of people. A race entails a total, a whole culture, a group of people who have distinct common ways of doing everything together. A culture entails values, priorities, how we raise our kids, how we go about relationships, how we spend our money, what you find funny. A race, a culture. And the Bible says that the church, what God is doing in the church, he is forming a new human race, a new humanity, a new 
community of people. The church is a new counterculture. It's not a club. Club is what you do when you need some release. Club is what you do on your free time when you, you know, need to blow off some steam. Club is what you do to go because you have one or two things in common. Club is what you do when you, you know, have extra time or free. Club, a culture is, think of it this way. Koreans here, Koreans, Koreans, raise your hand. Proud to be Korean. Yes, yes, Koreans. I'm Korean, so I got to. There's something about Koreans. It's not just one. We don't just look alike with our eye shape and all that stuff. Koreans, Koreans have what? Thousands of connections. I can sit down with a Korean, Korean American and go, Andy, you don't, you don't tell me. And we have that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? People from, yes. You sit down. When you're old coach, you sit down, you look at each other and go, we have automatic, innate, inherent ways of going. We've got tons of things in common. Yes? The Bible says that the church, listen, even though we all come from distinct background, race, ethnicity, culture, God has created a new culture in such a way that there are ways in which we are similar in Christ that go thousands of ways deep, so much deeper than people of our own race and culture who don't know Jesus. The question is, is that true of you? I mean, I can go off on this. We don't have time. I'm going to come back to this in a couple of weeks. But here's my question, right? We, we, we sit and we go, this is an incredibly diverse church. Oh, this is awesome. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. Here's the thing, though. If you are in Christ, the Bible says, Bible says you have thousands of connections to one another because of Christ. The question is, is that being lived out in reality? Is that being lived out in reality? Is that true of you? Can you honestly say that you have deep relationships with people of other ethnicity, culture, race, socioeconomic class, and you could genuinely say, we have connections, we have a commonality, we have this thing that go way deep. So, in Christ, I should have more in commonality with the single mom in our church who has a high school education than I am with people, my own people that I grew up with. I mean, is that true of you? Is that true of, is that true of our church? That's the question. That's the question. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'm sorry. Before I do this analogy, you know I'm cracking up? Because my baby girl, my baby girl, this morning as I was working on my sermon, you know, and I went to the bathroom for a take a break, she wrote on the bottom of my sermon notes, I love you, Daddy. This is so cute. So cute. Anyway, anyway. anyway. <sighs> Michael, can you help me? Carlton, can you help me? Last week, we spent time looking at the church as a what? Building blocks of a temple, right? Building blocks of a temple.
the question we asked last week was what? Is this you? If you're a building block, or is this you? Are you, if we're the church, so built into the lives of others that you are cemented together because of Christ? So much so that if you were to leave, the whole wall, the whole building would collapse because you are so intimately and integrally tied into the lives of others. Or is this you? Are you built into the lives of others in such interdependent, interconnectedness? Remember we did this last week? So, so, so this is us, right? We're like, he and I, or she and I, and this is good enough for me. Remember what we said last week? If you're a single building block, someone existing by yourself, you are, you are not even fulfilling the purpose and the inherent design from which God built you? Are you built into the lives of others in such a way that you're part of this? Can I ask you something? Does this look like coming on Sundays? No. Are you built in to the lives of men and women? In this church, in such a way, you could honestly say, I am such a vital, interdependent, interconnected part of this body that were I to leave, the whole thing would collapse. And if you're not, what is stopping you from living in this reality? Okay, today we got to move on. Today we got to move on. Last week we looked at the temple, the building. Today we look at the metaphor of the church as family. Everybody say family. Family. Say family. Now, we're going to look at this metaphor uh, uh, in a couple more weeks and, and come back to it. But today we've got to move on and look at the church's family, this wonderful metaphor of church's family, where Paul says, you are members of God's household. This metaphor is all over the New Testament. Let me just mention a couple passages, Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. First Timothy 3.14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how, to, how, how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Family. Family. Here are the points. I wish we had them up there. As we look at the metaphor of the church's family. First of all, family is about identity. Family is about identity. What do I mean? You don't go to family, do you? You're part of a family. You don't go to family. You're a part of a family. And in the same way, it is vastly misleading to say, I go to church. You don't go to church. You're either a part of a church or you're not. What we do is we come to a worship event. This is a worship event where the people of God gather together to worship God. What we do on Sunday mornings. But don't confuse coming to an event, a worship event, with being part of the church of God. When I hear somebody say, I go to a new community, I want to go, you mean you go to a worship event. The question I have for you is, are you part of the family, the people of God that call themselves new community? You see the difference? We don't go to family. We're part of a family. Secondly, and this is wonderful gospel, in family, belonging comes from who you are, not what you do. True? 
My belonging in the Hong household, the Hong family, my identity as son to Hong Gapsun, my dad, and Hong Soja, my mom, and my identity as brother to Tim Hong, and my identity as brother to my sister, Jenny Hong, comes as a gift, as a given, not because I earn it. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, then the family of God, you're a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, not based on anything you have done, but because of the gracious work of God in Christ Jesus. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we get adopted into the family of God, and we get the gift of God as our perfect heavenly father, and we get Jesus Christ as our older brother. By the way, if you had a bad father, and so this whole imagery of family is kind of a disconnect to you, If you had a bad father, I want to encourage you this morning and say, don't take that word and define God by it. Take the Bible and define God by Scripture. The Bible tells us who God the Father is. And the Bible says that our Heavenly Father is a perfect, amazing, loving, wonderful, gracious, heavenly Father. And the Bible says we get him as our father. And when you get him as your father, we get Jesus as our older brother. Matthew 12, 46, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. Okay. I told you guys I'm going to have you move, right? In the next minute or two, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get up. And I need you to sit next to somebody you do not know, to your right and to your left. For some of you, that's going to be easy because you're going, I don't know you. I don't know you. (laughs) Sit your butt down and don't move. But for a lot of you, a lot of you, you know who you are. You're going to need to get up and find a place. If you're new to our church, you go, does he do this every week? Yes, I do this every week. So right now in the next minute, go, go. If you're up front, go to the back, back, come to the front. Go, 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 go. All right, everybody. That's good. That's good. Okay. All right. All right, everybody. Everybody Everybody uncomfortable yet? Yes. Everybody? Okay. Everybody look up here. You know I did that? Make a point. Listen, everybody look up here. When you get in the family of God, what you automatically get connected to, the people that you automatically get connected to, they're not your friends. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. You choose your friends. That's why you like them. Can I get it? You don't choose your family. The people that are sitting next to you, the people you automatically connected to, hello, when you get God as your heavenly father, I like my dad. Oh, when I get my dad, guess what else you get? Brothers and sisters in Christ. And you don't get to choose who your brothers and sisters in Christ are, do you? No. And many times, check this out, just like you don't like your family, you don't like your relatives, nobody likes Uncle Bob who lives in the basement. You know what I'm talking about? 
Nobody likes your crazy Uncle Bob. You're sitting next to crazy Uncle Bob spiritually right now in the family of God. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. I was going to tell you that. Don't look. When you automatically... This is the reason why, listen, in a church like ours, you know what I hear people say? Oh, Pastor Peter, it's so hard to get to know people here. It's so difficult. People are annoying me. We get into so many conflicts. It's complex here. Welcome to family. It's complex. It's difficult. It's hard. It's messy. But we don't give up on family. We don't check out on family. We don't say, I like you, Dad, but I don't want to deal with others. This is family, not friends. The reason why you have such a hard time perceiving the church is because you confuse the fact that when you come into the family of God, you don't get friends automatically. You get brothers and sisters. And they will annoy the heck out of you just like your own family. Do you understand this church? How many of y'all have a hard time dealing with family here at New Community? Raise your hands. Oh, so we're like a perfect family? (laughs) You know what just happened? There are people who said, I'm having a hard time. And they're just going, I don't. The reason why we're family is because we're like any other family. That is, we're put together because we come into the family of God. And listen, listen. I'm putting in the worst terms, right? I'm putting in the worst terms. But you have to understand this. When you come into the family of God, you don't get to say to God, God, I like you, but I don't want to deal with your family. That's what some of you are saying. I like you, but I don't want to deal with your family. When you come into the family of God, you come into an unconditional, enduring relationship with your heavenly father. And just like you were adopted into the family of God, listen, even though you're annoying, you're weird, you've got issues, you're hard, you're difficult, but God the father graciously says to you, daughter, come on in. Son, come on in. God says, I want you to treat others in the same way. Now, I'm putting this in the worst term possible. Eventually, you're going to want to turn your brothers and sisters into something more. Like friends or even significant others, you know. I know some of y'all are real thankful right now because you're sitting there going, this isn't bad, Peter. (laughs) Matter of fact, some of you single, you're sitting here this morning going, this must be the sign from the Lord. (laughs) Amen. I've been wanting to sit next to him forever. (laughs) You can thank me later. You guys, can I just be honest? I don't think we as a church, I don't think we, I don't think we do this well as a family. I know in pockets we do, and I'm going to get to that pockets we do, but here's the thing. You know what happens in family? In family, you fight. You fight, yes? If you don't fight, you're not a real family. You fight, but in family, you don't give up on each other. In family, you forgive, you reconcile, you work it out. Why? You live in the same house for crying out loud. You can't go anywhere. You work it out. And why is it that in the family of God, we don't get along, I'm out of here. Some of us have been hurt because of church splits, right? If we really realized we're family, we wouldn't have church splits so readily. That's like rupturing your family. 
It should feel like a divorce. Some of you are sitting there going, divorce my parents has been the most painful thing in my life. The Bible says your family. That means if there's divorce or relationships, it should feel just as painful. And yet, why is it in the church we go, you and I had a fight. We don't get along. I'm out of here. What is that? We're family with the mess, with the issues. The church is a family of God. And listen, we're not natural friends who've been brought together. We're natural enemies who've been brought together by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Can I get, can I, can I just get blown with you? Listen, are you just putting up with people in this church? Or are you looking around going, you're my brother, you're my sister. I need to get to know you. Like for real, for real. Hmm? It's your family. Are you getting to know your family? Are you trying to turn them into friends or are you just putting up with them? Listen, we're not called to tolerate one another. We are called to love one another. You know what's better than liking somebody? Is loving somebody. Family. Secondly, family isn't just about identity. It's about hospitality. Hospitality. What do I mean? Students in a school study together. That's all they do. By the way, you're not moving, so sit still. <laughs> For the rest of the sermon, if you could pay attention. But please don't exchange like phone numbers and stuff like that, okay? Just pay attention for now. Students in, st- <laughs> students in a school study together, that's all they do. Colleagues in an office work together, that's all they do. People that belong to a club or hobby, they, they do that, whatever that thing is together, that's all they do. But in a family, what do we do? We do everything together. Everything together. You know how I know I'm family? You know how I know I'm part of your family? If I can walk into your place and I can walk straight to the uh, refrigerator, open it, get whatever I want to without asking for permission. That's family. Why? In family, we share everything together. Share space. We share time. We eat together. We play together. We work together. In family, you do everything together. In family, it's letting our whole lives come in contact with whole lives of other people. It's not just showing up at an event. If you show up at a Bible study to just study the Word together, you're showing up at an event like students showing up in a study group. If, you're, if you just show up to work together like colleagues and that's all you do, if you just show up together, play tennis together, whatever you do, if you're just showing up to events and doing one or two things together, it's not family. Family is sharing our whole lives with whole lives of others and letting our whole lives come in contact with whole lives of others. Is that happening here? The picture of the early church for me that emerges one in which they're doing whole life hospitality. I mean, you look at Acts 2. It says stuff like they were meeting every day. It doesn't mean that they were literally meeting every day. They were meeting regularly, not just on Sundays in the temple courts, but in homes. They're literally getting to know people because there's such regular interactions where they're being known and getting to know others. They also had everything in common. Everything in common. What does that mean? It's not some form of communism. They had everything in common as in willingly they sold like their land, their stuff, their belongings. And whenever someone was in need in the church community, they met that need. In family, that's what you do. You find out what the needs of your family are, and you give your right arm and your left leg. Is that happening here? Is that happening here? It is in pockets. It is in pockets. Can I just, real quick, shout it out. How many of you guys here have been literally 
practically helped by people in this church family. Look at that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, right? Shout it out. How were you helped? How were you helped? Shout it out. How were you helped? Money. What else? Food, space. There are people in this church who are doing this, and it's blowing me away. Selling stuff that they have and willingly giving it to meet the needs of other people. That's what the first church was doing. And here's the other thing. They were intentional about it. The Bible says that they devoted themselves to it. It didn't just happen. Family life doesn't just happen. Intentional about it. Why? Remember, the first church, diverse people from all different backgrounds who were coming together. And it wasn't just happening naturally. Why? People coming from totally different backgrounds, totally different ways of understanding the world. And so the first church had to be intentional about getting to know other people, about being involved in the lives of others, about building relationships, about meeting every day. If you don't understand this dynamic of the church's family, listen, you know what you're going to do? You're going to naturally gravitate towards people who are just like you. And when we do that, We don't grow. You know why? Because God uses diverse, different, and difficult people to grow us. Can I get an amen? Listen, are you you doing life with people that are just like you in this church? By the way, if you think that somebody's rubbing you the wrong way, God is mightily at work. God is mightily at work. Are you in community with diverse groups of people? Are you intentional about doing life with others? The early church shared their lives. They opened their homes. They sold their possessions. They helped the needy. They were radically generous. Us, opposite. We protect our time. We protect our possessions. And we protect our priorities. That's antithetical to what Scripture says about the church as family. Do you realize all the one another passages in Scripture? All the one another passages in Scripture, which describes a Christian life, love, one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, build trust with one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another, be accountable to one another, confess to one another, live in harmony with one another, do not be right, conceited to one another, do not slander one another, instruct one another, admonish one another, spur one another toward love and good deeds, meet with one another, be concerned for one another, be humble to one another, be compassionate to one another, do not lie to one another, give preference to one another, sing to one another, be at peace with one another, another comfort one another be kind to one another live in peace with one another carry one another's burdens just like a third of one other passages how many of these if this is a christian life can you do in a two hours on sunday morning this is what family life is like this is what family life is like i told you guys 70 percent of the new testament seven commands are in the, in the plural it's written to groups of people we're doing life together. Are we a family? Family is about hospitality. Third, family is about availability. Availability. If new community doesn't feel like home, I said this last week, serve. You know the difference between eating at a restaurant and a family dinner is? What's the difference between eating at a restaurant and family dinner? You what? You serve. You help one another out. When you go to a restaurant, you could say, uh, the eggs are a little runny, and the toast is burnt. Can you give me a comment card? You do that at home to your mom, your mom will do something to you. <laughs> yes? 
That's the difference between eating in a restaurant and a family. In a family, you help out. When I go to my parents' house to eat, and I sit even though I'm good Korean, when I go to my house to eat, my mom does not sit there and go, what are you doing? Get up. Help set the plates. And we do the same thing in our household. When we have dinner, I go, Parker, Sophie, get the plates, get the forks, get the spoons, get the cups. They learn to help out in the family. In the family of God, you don't just sit there and have everybody serve you. In a family, everybody serves. Everybody gets involved. You want something to eat? Don't tell me to go get it. You know where the refrigerator is. Go get it out yourself. Dessert, mom, can I have dessert? Make it yourself. And after dinner, what do you do? After dinner, what do you do? You don't just sit there and go, oh. In some cultures, all the men go to where the TV is and all the women go. What is that? That's not the family of God. In the family of God, hello, all the men get up, get the plates, get it off, put it in the sink, and do the dishwasher. That's what men do. That's what men do in the family of God. Some of y'all think you're still back in your own race and culture. This is the family of God. In the family of God, you serve. Some of your new community is like family. You come here and you go, how can I serve? How can I get involved? Let me take out the trash. Let me do the dishes. Let me help you prepare the dessert. Let me help you prepare dinner. And you come here and you serve. This place would explode if all of us came here and we thought of this as family and not as consumers at a restaurant. Consumers at a restaurant, if that's you, you come to this church and you say things like this. You go, uh, I wonder if the sermon is going to speak to me today. That's like saying the eggs are runny. You something go, oh, the worship, you know, they were a little bit out of tune. That's like saying the toast is burnt. You come in and you go, how come nobody said anything to me? How come nobody said hi to me? That's like give me a comment card so I can comment and criticize this church. In the family of God, you come in and you go, what can I do? What can I do? Help me. Can we throw out the trash? Where's the trash bin? Can I help you prepare dinner? Hey, I don't know how to do anything. I can at least set the plate. At least set the plate. What can I do? Come on now. Is this your family? If it is your family, then you get involved and you serve. If this doesn't feel like family, it's most likely because you're not contributing. You're just consuming. You know, when I... One of the things that just breaks my heart is that there are people who come and go, oh, I don't really feel connected. And you go to another church, oh, I don't really feel connected. And you go to another church, oh, I don't feel connected. And it's amazing because that person thinks the problem is everybody else but him or her. I am telling you, there is no such thing as a perfect church. If there is a perfect church, it would stop being perfect the moment you walk into that church. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect family. I don't make perfect eggs all the time. My eggs tend to be runny and go a little long. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I tend to burn the toast once in a while, you know? Sometimes you're going to go, oh, man, that doesn't taste very good. I mean, this is, what do you do, though? You come to me and you go, there are parts of this church family, Peter, that could get better. And you're not sitting there going, so do something. You go, so what can I do to contribute? How can I make this a better place? That's what you do in a family, man. That's what you do in a family. You and I serve. You and I get involved. In a healthy family, members are not consumers. In a healthy family, members freely give themselves to one another. They freely and willingly give themselves to one another. They have chores and they share in the responsibility. In an unhealthy church, 
consumer mentality reigns, and consumer mentality will kill families, and it kills churches. Yeah, there are seasons in your life where you're like, listen, I know some of you guys are going, Peter, the reason why I'm in a new community is because I'm hurt. I'm broken, man. I am messed up, and I just need a place to heal. And we're, we're so glad that you're here. I love hearing that our church, as Lisa said earlier, is a safe place for a dangerous message. I love the fact that how many of you guys have actually genuinely been healed because of this church family? Yeah, look at it, look at it. It's amazing. There are people who are here. But here's the thing, here's the thing. And I told you guys this before. My wife is a doctor. When, when I get sick, after a while, after a while, she'll come to me and go, uh, it's time to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. Big cry, baby. Time to get out of bed. It's time to start walking around. Because you'll never get really healed and well if you just stay in bed all day. After a while, you got to get up. And you got to start walking around. Listen, if you're sick, You don't want to just be held by anybody. You want to be held by a doctor. You want somebody who can say, this is what we need to get better. Part of getting better, I start getting those muscles again. I start walking around. I start walking around. Listen, we're going to ask you, take your time, get healed, get healed. But at some point, at some point, we're going to go, you're part of our family. Time to get up and help out around here. And we're going to do it in love. We're going to do it in love. Family. You know why this is so powerful for me? Think back, think back, think back, think back. Some of the most formative, most powerful times in your life where God worked powerfully and your life was changed. Wasn't it always something that you did with other people? Some of the most powerful times in my life where God works most powerfully. I look back on my trajectory in my life, I go, wow. It was times when there was a group of us that rolled up our sleeves, went in the trenches, and we suffered together. We did hard work together. At the same time, we rejoiced together at what God did. And I look back at those times and go, it was those people doing that together. That was powerful. That was powerful. And some of you guys sitting here going, man, I remember because I used to have those times. Times when those relationships that were most helpful, most enduring, most enduring. And you realize, I wasn't just a consumer. I wasn't just sitting there going, feed me, serve me. I actually did something with a group of men and women. Listen, this place is what it is because of men and women. And when you came in today, when you came in today, in your bulletin inserts were a list of ministries that, that we have in our church and ways to get involved. I'm going to say this as, 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 as simply and clearly as possible. If you do not get involved in this family, we cannot advance the mission of God. We cannot. And I'm not just saying this. You're like, ah, oh, he's just saying that because he needs to listen. I've said this over and over again. Every single one of us, the Bible says, has been given a gift, spiritual gift. Each one, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, so that we could build up the body. That means every single one of you, you're unique as a snowflake and as unique as a fingerprint. That means there are people in here and people out there with your names on it. And if you do not fulfill the mission of God, the mission can't be done. The mission just simply cannot be done. If you're sitting here today, there is somebody, there is somebody that God wants you to reach. That's why you're here. We cannot advance the mission of God to connect people to God, connect people to each other, connect people to others if you do not. You do not play your part. You go, I don't know what part I'm supposed to play. That's why we have those ministries for you. Try it. Try it. Don't sit there and go, well, that's not my gift. That's not my area. Well, I don't like to. You don't do that in family, even in our family with Parker and Sophie. Parker doesn't go, well, I'm not very good at setting up a uh, table, Dad. I don't like to. I don't care, Parker. Go, you know where the plates are. You know where the spoon is. Help set the table. 
And Parker actually says, I actually enjoy doing this. No, actually, he doesn't. He's only seven years old. What does he know? <laughs> you can't just get gospel ministry here. You got to give it. You got to give it. Are you simply coming to get your needs met? Or are you coming to say, who can I touch? Who can I heal? Who can God use me to reach? Go home today. Pray about. Begin to get involved in the life of this church and life ministry. Fourth, family is about accountability. Family is about accountability. When you grow up in your family, there is, here's the word, transparency. Everybody say transparency. My mom, still to this day, knows who I am inside out. My mom, I can sit down with my mom and I can't get anything by her. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I can't get anything by my mom. Even to this day, I'm going to be 42 for crying out loud in a couple weeks. 42 years old. And yet when I sit across my mom, my mom just has to look at me and go, I know you. Give me a break, Peter. I changed your diapers, poopy diapers. I wiped your nose. I wiped your bottoms. I know everything about you. You can't fool me. Is that family? Family, transparency, they know you. You can't put up a front. You can't, they know your weaknesses. They know your strength. What is the Bible saying? In a spiritual family, are there people that you've been so transparent with that they know about your besetting sins? If you're struggling alone with some sin and nobody knows about it, it's going to make your soul sick and sometimes even your body. Is there somebody who knows about your besetting sins? And secondly, have you given them the green light to come and call you out when they see you indulging in it? Is there somebody that you are that transparent with? If you are alone with your sins and nobody else knows about them, you're not a part of the family of God. Now, you know why this is so important? James 5 says, listen, very carefully. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Yes? We normally go, okay, that verse is about praying for each other and being healed. You know what this is about? It's actually saying, confess your sins to one another, then you'll be healed. Do you know why? Because when somebody knows all about you and loves you anyway, that brings healing. There is a desire within us to be fully loved, to be fully loved, to be fully loved. But you cannot be fully loved if you are not fully known. You're sitting there, you're going, that guy is saying, I love you, I love you. But you're sitting there going, but you don't know all about me. No matter how much times you say you love me, you don't know all about me. And so therefore, how can you say that we have doubt? Because only you can be fully loved when you know that that person knows you from top to bottom, all about you, and can look at you in the eyes and say, I love you. And when somebody does that, it brings healing. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 3.12, See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, you've heard this analogy before, is that our heart is like a bucket of water in a cold winter day. In other words, the the bucket of water is getting hardened because of sin. Naturally, it's getting hardened because of sin. And you need to have somebody who's constantly breaking ice unless, otherwise that water will get hardened. And what the Bible is saying is, do you have people in your life that you have told about your besetting sin in such a way that they can come and they're constantly breaking ice? Hey, 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 
How's your sexuality these days? What's your sex life like? Are you pure? Hey, hey, what are you doing with your money? Hey, what are you doing with your, Are you being generous? Are you being selfish? Hey, hey, what are your relationships like? Hey, how are you doing with that addiction? Hey, hey, there needs to be people who are constantly breaking ice. Or else you're hard. The Holy Spirit's job, the Bible says, is to convict our hearts of sin. But when we refuse to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, our hearts eventually get hardened and we lose the ability to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And some of us are there today. Holy Spirit has constantly said, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. And yet, nobody around you knows about it in such a way they can come to you and go, how are you doing? <laughs> One time, uh, when our church was getting our podcast sermon podcasts off the ground, the guy that was doing podcasts, he was in my office, and uh, he was working on podcasts because he wanted to show me what it was like, right? I've never heard of podcasts. It was years ago. So he goes, Pastor Peter, listen, and he played it, right? And it was me preaching. And this was my response. I heard it. I go, who the heck is that? He goes, that's you. I'm like, no, that's not me. Because literally sounded like, wait, 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 I'm like, that is not me. Who is that? He goes, no, that's you. Did you know that your voice sounds different from what you think it is? Try it. Tape record your voice and then play it. And you'll go, who the heck is that? It's you. We don't have the ability to hear and know our true selves. You don't. So who does? Who's coming and keeping you accountable? Who is Who is it out there that knows all about you? You are fully known so that you can be fully loved and be healed. Family. Family is about accountability. Who have you given the green light to blow the whistle on you? To whom are you opening up about your thought life? How you use your money? Are there people that you've given permission to to call you out? And by the way, if you've given somebody permission to call them out, And when they call you out, don't go, you don't know me. Don't judge me. Wait a minute. You told me to call you. Don't Don't do that. Don't do that. You know why I say that? Because that's happening in some of our small groups. You've committed to being accountable. And yet when somebody goes, hey, man, your anger issue. Hey, man, your self-centered issue. What's God doing there? You get all defensive and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Let them be your family. Lastly, family. Is about the gospel. For some of you, this morning's sermon has been painful. <laughs> Not because it sounds like wah, 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 like there. It's been painful in all seriousness. Because the word family, some of you are like, ah, oh, family. And others of us are like, family. My family. It's painful. Family messed you up. And our culture out there tries to tell us that we're product of our individual choices and that our self-image is what we make of it. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're not a product of who you are because of individual choices. You're a product of who you are because you've been shaped and formed by people. And here's the thing. Community is what hurts you. 
Community is what will heal you. Community is what messed you up. And you're sitting there all by yourself, Lone Ranger Christianity. If my devotion times were better, I read the word of God and I prayed more, I fasted and prayed. That helps. But ultimately, the Bible says community messed you up. God will use the community, the family of God to heal you. Your birth family screwed you up. God says you've been brought into the household of God to heal you. One of the things I love as a mom, as a mom, as a dad, I was going to say, one of the things I love about moms and dads, especially I have three kids, my baby girl Sophie, she started saying when she was four years old at bedtime, Daddy, can you tuck me in? Tuck me in. Can you cover me up? Can you tuck me in? And by the way, my daughter goes, like a burrito. <laughs> she wasn't tucking in like a burrito. I'm serious. So I wrapped a blanket around her like a burrito. A chicken burrito, beef burrito. Doesn't matter, a burrito like a burrito. So she, she tugs me in. You know, there's powerful spiritual reality to that. You know why? Because all of us are born, and in our souls, there's a part of us that says, can somebody tuck me in? Can somebody cover me? Do you know why? When you and I came out from the, under the rule and reign of God, the first thing that we experienced, the Bible says, is shame and guilt. I don't care who you are. Every single one of us in this room, we're born with this innate, somebody cover me, somebody tuck me in. Some of you are trying to do with money. Some of you are trying to do with jobs. Some of you are trying to do relationships. Cover. So whatever you need to do to cover yourself, to co- tuck yourself in. And our culture would have you say that you could tell yourself that you're okay. Question, does that work? Does that work? Of course it doesn't work. Because think of the things you've done. There's some of you in here. You think of the mistakes you've made. You think of the poor decisions you've made. You think of the promises you've broken. You think of all the wrong, dumb things you've done in your life. And that thing is just painful for you. And you've tried. Tell yourself you're okay. Tell yourself you're going to be all right. Does it work? It doesn't work. You know why? Somebody else needs to tuck us in. Somebody else needs to cover us. I have never met anybody who says, Peter, people think I'm dumb. People think I'm stupid. People think I can't do anything. They're all dumb. They're all stupid. I can do it all. No, never. But I've met plenty of people who are extremely gifted, talented, amazing, and yet because of what their mom said, what their dad said, what their friends said, walking around going, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. You can't tell yourself that you're okay. Somebody else needs to. Now, here's the thing. The one person that could do that is who? God. The gospel. But does it work? Of course it doesn't work. You sit there going, yes. No, it doesn't. You know why? Because if you genuinely believe that even though you're not okay, God the Father says, you're okay. If you really believe that, your life would be different. If you really believe that, I said to you, Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally, and you believe that in the heart of your soul, you'd be so different, but you don't. That's why the Bible says somebody else needs to tell you. You know who that is? It's the church family. I'm not over-spiritualizing it. That's why it's dangerous church for us to go, all you need is God. It's only half true. You need who else? One another. You need somebody. Are you hearing me? 
I don't over-spiritualize. You know, I preach the gospel every Sunday, and I will continue to because the Holy Spirit worked through that. But don't you dare sit there and go, all I need is God. Because if you really believe that, you will be so much more joyful, so much more confident, and so much more bold. But you don't, and that's okay. Why? Because God says you need the family of God to go, let me cover you in. Like a burrito, like a burrito. (laughs) I feel like going to get Mexican food after this. Listen, church, is this family, the family that you could look to and say, will you tuck me in? Can you honestly say that this group of people, you tuck me in? Let me end with the gospel. Carlton, you come on up. Ephesians 2, 18. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You know what's so amazing about verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians 2? The Bible says you and I are all foreigners and aliens, but now we're in God's household. You know what that is? That's radical hospitality. Do you know what hospitality in Greek literally means? Do you know what hospitality in Greek literally means? Check this out. A foreigner in Greek is the word xenos or xenoi. That's what a foreigner is. That's where we get the English word xenophobia, which is what? Fear of foreigners. And a, do you know what hospitality in Greek is? Hospitality in Greek is philoxenia. Literal translation, love of the weird person. That's what hospitality is. You're sitting there going, I love the weird person. I'm talking about you. (laughs) Hospitality literally is love of the weird person. Love of the strange person. Hospitality literally is the people that the world goes, oh, stay away from her. Oh, stay away from her. Hospitality literally is, come on in. Me, me, me. I'm talking to you, 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 you. But I'm strange, but I'm weird, but I'm messed up issues. Precisely you. The Bible says, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He looked at you and me and said, you're weird. You're strange. You're a sinner. But I'm going to leave my father's household as a son of God and become an alien and a stranger and homeless so that you, alien and stranger, become a son and daughter of God and welcome to God's household the gospel of Jesus. And if God has done that for you, who can you possibly look at and go, you're weird, you're strange, stay away. Who can you possibly look at? Who can you possibly look at and not go, come on in. When you understand this, when you truly understand the hospitality of Jesus Christ on the cross who looks at us, aliens and strangers, rebels and sinners, and says, I in my life become homeless and I in my death am crucified outside the camp, exiled, sent away, forsaken by God so that you and I can be welcomed and embraced. And when that truth is deeply embraced in your heart. It will give you the confidence and the boldness to be vulnerable and going, he has taken me in. He has called me son. He has called me daughter. What am I afraid of? 
What am I afraid of? What rejection am I afraid of when the only validation that counts and matters in the universe has already been given by God who looks at me and says, son of God, daughter of God. And God says, if you're a son, you're a daughter, you got brothers and you got sisters. In the household of God, you serve. You serve them. You serve the one who came and said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. You serve. God, we are the family, an expression of your kingdom here in Logan Square, in Bronzeville, in the city of Chicago. It's a hard, difficult, complex calling, and yet your Holy Spirit has bound us together as one. Help us to, as the Bible says, maintain that unity in Christ and live it out in reality. Strengthen us, empower us, give us what we lack, because we lack a lot, so that we can, God, fulfill this beautiful picture of your household and your family here in this city. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, Amen.